Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Well, good morning, everybody, and happy Labor Day weekend, if we have yet to meet. My name is Mark. I am the pastor here at Hope, and I am thrilled that you've braved the elements and the schedule of a holiday weekend, etc., etc., to gather with us and work today. We are continuing with our Upside Down message series, and this series is designed to help us garner a biblical worldview as opposed to a political worldview or a cultural worldview because our world is upside down. Part of what we have discussed through the series so far is that we think, because we tend to place ourselves constantly at the center of the universe, that all of the struggles and strife that we see in the culture is unique to us. That's not the case. It's been happening ever since Adam and Eve fell from grace in the Garden of Eden. Cain and Abel uh, did their thing, and we've been seeing this since Noah's flood, etc. And so the whole idea is have us take some time systematically to put Jesus at the center and then learn to see the world the way that Christ would have us to see it. And we're going through his Beatitudes, which are the first uh, statements in the Sermon on the Mount, which are all found in Matthew chapter 5. But we're going through these uh, intentionally and systematically. Uh, and so without reviewing every single one, I would encourage you to take a look at uh, our uh, messages online. You can access them through uh, Facebook archives. You can see them on our YouTube channel as well as in our Hope, um, Hope Church podcast app and Hope Church Plus app. You know, we got plenty of ways for you to grab them. Uh, but I want to take a look at what we discussed last week because these all build on each other. Last Sunday, we talked about how Jesus said those who crave righteousness are blessed. Now, to remember the whole idea about beatitude, that is a statement of utmost bliss. And so when Jesus is talking to an audience who knew all too well what it was like to be hungry, he was intentionally getting them to think about how they express and understand hunger and to translate that into a yearning for God. And so what we discussed last week was we looked at the difference between hunger and cravings. We all can get cravings. Cravings tend to be uh, a hunger, so to speak, that is driven between the ears, whereas our real true hunger is driven by what the body needs. And Jesus wants us to recognize that when we, real, when we realize and know that we must crave righteousness, God's way put first, God making everything right, then it's not like we can just crave a single little morsel or tiny little taste or a sip, but we crave all of it. And so whereas a craving might be able to be satisfied with one, two, or three bites or tastes, when we look at the idea of hungering and craving righteousness in God, a little bit just won't do. It's not enough. We need the entire thing. So God wants us to crave him in terms of righteousness and peace and mercy. And so that's exactly how we come into our topic for today. Our beatitude for this week is Matthew 5, 7, which is where we read Jesus say, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
Now, this would be a great time, if you've not yet done so, to pull out your Hope Church Plus app. You can utilize the follow-along notes. We also have inserted them in the bulletin. So if you'd like to follow along and keep track with the content for today, I encourage you to do that. Uh, But as we look at this idea of mercy, I want to ask you a question first. What is the first thing that you tend to think of when you hear the word mercy or blessed are the merciful? Any, any thoughts or ideas on that? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Forgiveness? What was that, David? You get what you don't deserve. Uh, you get what you don't deserve. Yeah, we're going to almost do that by verbatim in a few moments. What else? Sometimes you do get what you deserve. Sometimes there's mercy in that too, right? You know, God can only keep us from touching the hot stove until we just got to do it ourselves. Like, okay, well, I'll be here with the, with the back teen and the aloe. You know, but sometimes you just got to do it. Anything else? Y'all are like really up here so far this morning, which is great. I'm going to tell you the first thing I thought about when I heard, read the word mercy. And this takes it back into my childhood. Mercy is for the weak and the weak deserve no mercy. What? Where's that come from? Surely you know where that came from, right? The Karate Kid, exactly, the Karate Kid. And so when, when young little adolescent Mark is falling in love with the Karate Kid and he's making mom and dad signing up for karate lessons and he's getting the bandana and all this other stuff, I was trying to understand what it was that mercy was all about because John Cleese said that mercy is for the weak and the weak deserve no mercy. We have a clip from that movie that I want you to see because there's some things that we're going to unpack as we go through it that will help us dig into and dive into our content for today. So let's take a look at this clip from the Karate Kid, about a minute and a half, and think about how the mercy deserved no week. I'm sorry, the week deserved mercy? So let's watch our clip. So, got to ask the question, is mercy really for the weak? A couple weeks ago, we talked about how the meek are blessed, and we drove a direct connection between the idea of meekness not being weakness, but we also see this come in the form of mercy, right? Sensei said... There is no fear in this dojo. There is no pain in this dojo. There is no defeat in this 
dojo. Strike hard, strike fast, no mercy, because mercy is for the weak. Doesn't this sound so much like stuff that we see and hear and feel in our culture? That mercy is for the weak. The weak don't deserve mercy. But when we see that Jesus tells us that there is blessing for those who are merciful because they will experience mercy, it may challenge this. Now, if we had the opportunity to watch the entire totality of the Karate Kid, we see this come full circle right after the big tournament when, uh, when Cleese and Miyagi go face to face and, and Cleese is just sure that Miyagi's going to kill him. And what does Miyagi do? He honks his nose, right? Showing that even the weakest among us deserve mercy. There's not a whole lot of meekness in that character from the Karate Kid. And as a result, there certainly isn't much mercy. But yet when he receives that mercy, it begins to change the way that he sees things. Now, if you're watching Cobra Kai now, which is out on Netflix, you realize he hadn't changed a whole lot. But God help us, there's hope for us all in the end. At least I pray, hope, think exactly because I know I need it. I don't deserve it. But we're talking about the blessing that comes in mercy. It's a mercy cycle that we receive mercy and we are called to give mercy. But when we look at those three words at the top of the screen and we try to put this in the shape and the mindset of what mercy is all about, we hear Cleese say there is no fear or pain or defeat, but that might not jive with how we experience the world. When was the last time you felt afraid? When was the last time you felt pain? When was the last time you felt defeated? Here in our divine dojo here, it might be easy for me to put on a fake saccharine smile and say, there's no fear in here. There's no pain in this place. There's no defeat with Jesus. But that's not exactly how we experience life now, is it? Not at all. Because we have to try to reconcile how it is that we can put our hope and our faith in Jesus, the creator and the sustainer and the savior of the world, the one who is strong enough to overcome even death itself. The one who tells us not to be afraid, who says suffering is actually good for us. And in those moments we feel like we have been defeated, perhaps it is the opening for God's ultimate victory to come and search through. And therein lies the hope, is that in our upside-down world, we are looking for those temporary and momentary reliefs for things like fear. I don't want to be afraid right now for pain. Like, whatever type of pain you have, pain of the heart, pain of the mind, pain of the soul, pain of Biceps tendonitis, which is kind of where I mean, me a little bit, right? Or those times when you look at defeat in your life and you experience what I like to call the moral wound or the moral injury, where you do everything you know to be right and it still falls apart. Those moments we feel as though we are defeated. And when it feels like we are going to pieces or falling to pieces, it may just be that everything is falling into place with God. 
And so we have to adjust and change our mindset. So it's not solely based on our own understanding and preference for the way that things are or how they should be so that we can continue to live into this cycle of mercy so that when we encounter people who are fearful, we can direct them to the creator and the redeemer and the savior of all kind. When we feel pain, we can point them to the great physician and the wonderful counselor. And when we feel defeated, we can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that there's victory in Jesus, right? Amen? So this is living in a mercy cycle where even when we feel afraid or hurt or beaten down, that it isn't all about us because that's what the devil wants to try to convince us it is. Put yourself at the center. Put yourself in the middle. And Jesus says, no, put me there and realize that there can be hope and purpose, even in things like your own fear. Fear not, I have commanded you. That's not to say that fear doesn't exist, but be courageous in the face of it. That there are times when we will suffer, when we will experience pain. The purpose of pain is to get us to get ourselves out of the center, to put God there and realize that there is such a thing as redemptive suffering. That God can work miracles through our suffering. And even when we feel as though we have lost when we are defeated, that it points to the ultimate victory over sin and the fear, pain and the death and the defeat that it tries to convince us we can't overcome. Jesus is an overcoming savior, isn't he? He said, in this world, you're going to have troubles, but don't fear because I've overcome your trouble-causing world. Praise be to God. So let's dig in a little bit more about what mercy really is all about. One of the reasons it can be difficult for us to understand mercy and to separate it from the idea and the concept of weakness is because there is no direct translation from the original biblical languages into our English. You'll see on the screen there that the closest way to identify and try to help us understand what mercy means comes from the word chesed. Chesed. So, you know, to spell that kind of like Ahmed, the, you know, the determinus is phlegm. Chesed. C-H-E-S-E-D, which literally means to get inside someone's skin. Mercy literally means to get inside someone's skin. Now, there's a word that we tend to use in our English nomenclature and vocabulary that speaks a good bit about this idea of trying to get into someone's skin, and we call that empathy. We call that empathy. It's being able to understand what someone else is experiencing, what they're feeling, and to feel that with them without succumbing to it ourselves, to empathize with someone. It's, you know, for example, if you are talking with someone who has lost a loved one and you know that pain, you can empathize with them. But part of empathy is to point to the reality that there is hope, life, and love on the doldrums and the destructive feelings that we can feel at the time. That there is hope beyond it. That there is peace beyond it. That there is light beyond the darkness. That's what empathy is all about. It's to get in someone's skin, so to speak. To know where they are suffering. Where they are yearning. Where they are in fear or pain or defeat. And to say there's hope on the other side of it. Getting in someone's skin means we have to get into their space, so to speak. We have to get into their personal space or their emotional space or their spiritual space. Say, talk to me. Share with me where you are hurting. 
Share with me where you feel fear. Share with me where you feel defeat. And allow me, by the power of God and the Holy Spirit, to show you that there is hope beyond it. It may be hard to comprehend. It may be even hard to see right now. But there is hope on the other side of those worst, horrible things that happened to us. Have you ever experienced this in your own life? Where you go through something and you feel like there is no coming back from it, but then you get a few steps down the road that may come in days, weeks, months, years, decades, where you realize, you know what, there, there is some hope beyond this. It may not be exactly what I wanted it to be like, or to look like, or to feel like, or to sound like, or to smell like, or whatever else. But there is hope beyond it. This is that living 2 Corinthians 1 life that we talked about a few weeks ago. It's how God comes alongside us in our suffering to remind us that we are not alone, to help us see some of those miracles that maybe we are unable to comprehend at the time so that God can bring us alongside someone else and say, you know what, I know from a personal level the hell that you're going through right now. But I want to help you see that there is hope and life and light beyond it. Mercy. Putting on someone else's skin. Being pathetic in realizing that this is the same blessing that God does for us. God doesn't come into the midst of our fear or our pain or our defeat or our doubt and automatically say, away with you! Off with their heads to, you know, quote Alice in Wonderland. God doesn't do that. What does God do? God says, come along with me. Let me show you how to find rest. Let me show you how to recover your soul. Is there anyone in here who wants to experience a soul recovery? It comes from experiencing life with God and the people who God has given us to do life with. It's relational. It's connection. It's a mercy cycle. We have to receive it so that we can give it. We have to experience it so that we can express it. There is not a soul in this room or listening to this online live or later on who has not experienced mercy in some way, shape, form, or another. And so let's look at some three ways that we've been doing in each installment of this series. Let's look at three ways that we can come to better understand the idea of mercy or empathy, right, so to speak. The first thing that mercy can do for us is it helps us prevent misplaced kindness. Does that sound peculiar to you? Preventing misplaced kindness. Have you ever done or tempted to do something nice for someone that felt like that proverbial ton of bricks? I can remember vividly, long time ago, early on in my ministry, first solo appointment, we had a family that was really struggling and really suffering. And I decided that I was going to make my semi-famous potato corn chowder and corn muffins to take to this family as an act of mercy. Now, one of the reasons it had to be an act of mercy is, believe it or not, this was a family that had some problems with the way that I was doing some things or thinking about some things or saying some things. I know it's impossible to imagine that anybody could have any qualms with me, but it's happened once or twice in my life. Thank you for finding the humor in that. We're all human, right? And so I remember walking up to the, to the door and ringing the doorbell and saying, I am presenting you with my semi-famous potato corn chowder 
and corn muffins. And the person who answered the door looked at me as though I had brought like their dead pet and said, hey, look what I did. And said, if you knew anything about me, you would know that I am lactose intolerant and I do not eat grains. I don't want your soup. I don't want your corn muffins. I don't want your gesture. Now, I'm not to say that if I had taken a pork roast or something else that wasn't grain or full of milk and lactose and cheese and things that it would have gone any differently, but a misplaced kindness. I'm thinking, who wouldn't my potato chowder? But the other person who is lactose intolerant and can't eat grain, to them it would be sickly. Have you ever experienced something like trying to perform a kindness for someone and it was rejected? But not just rejected because they didn't want you to be kind, but because you had not adequately gotten into their skin to find out what's the best thing I could do. I mean, I'm sure Tiffany would love it if you brought an entire low country boil with shrimp and lobster tails and all the other stuff to me, but you know what? That's like death in a pot for me because of my shellfish allergies. So it's imperative for us, we think about performing kindness and acts of kindness for other people to know what it is that they're going to make them tick or tick them off, <laughs> right? And so how can we experience that merciful empathy which says, I want to know what it is that you need so that I can help you meet those needs. Mercy, empathy helps us prevent misplaced kindness because when we try to perform kindness on our, on our terms, I'm letting the cat out of the bag early here, whose terms is it? Ours, right? Mercy says, Try to meet a need on their terms. Okay, so say you take a grain-filled, lactose-filled meal to somebody who doesn't want it and rejects it. What's the next thing about mercy that we need to embrace and hold on to? I'm glad you asked because that happens to be the second point. Is it helps to facilitate forgiveness. We're talking about creating and living into reconciliation. Those times when you try to do something nice, say, oh my gosh, I really didn't, I didn't know you couldn't have grain or lactose. I, 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 I didn't know. Forgive me. Allow me to do something to help. Allow me to find another way to be kind and generous and merciful. But maybe you're on the other side of this. Maybe someone has done something for you that you did not find helpful. And you know that their intention wasn't to be awful. Their intention wasn't to, to do harm to you. Does this mean that you must extend forgiveness on your end as well? What do you think? Oh, absolutely. So if we're going to live in this mercy cycle, we also have to live in a forgiveness cycle too. And this is all throughout the scripture where if you have been forgiven by God, you need to give forgiveness to other people too. If you have received mercy, you need to give mercy. If you have received love, you need to give love. All of this is about being conduits of grace. Sharing and expressing that which we have experienced. So that we can help others know about what it is to experience it as well. And so if we take a look at 
placing kindness where it really belongs and facilitating forgiveness, this brings us directly into the idea that we need to be more like Jesus. We need to be more like Jesus. Is there anyone in here who says, you know, I think I got enough Jesus in me already. I want to be more like somebody else. No. We all need to be more like Jesus, don't we? What is it that Jesus did? Jesus took the mocking and he took the abuse. He took the horror that humanity bestowed upon him and he turned it into our redemption. He took his suffering and made it possible for our salvation. Jesus took and flipped right side up the worst, most awful, horrible things that we've done or we've thought or we said. Just before Jesus breathes his last, he cries out and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. If we were to interpolate that within where we are within the series, it's, Father, they're trying. They still want to think that they are at the center of the universe. They still think that they've got to get theirs first before they can be willing to share with others. They haven't gotten this right side up mindset about living the way that you or I call and ask them to live. And that we deploy the Holy Spirit to live within them, to empower them, and to equip them to live the way that we know that will change the world. We need to be more like Jesus. And see, God knew this. Even from those moments when Adam and Eve fell and Cain and Abel did their horrible things. God knew that he was going to send Jesus to us. We also know that Jesus goes by another little nickname, so to speak, that we see in the birth narratives. When the angel comes and tells Joseph and Mary, I want you to name him Emmanuel. Why Emmanuel? What does it mean? God with us. Getting chills. You see where this is going? That even in the midst of our own misgivings and misdeeds, all the other stuff that we've done wrong, we continue to get it wrong. God put on flesh so that he can get inside our skin to show where we have been given mercy and to challenge us to channel mercy through our lives for other people. Jesus is God putting on skin so that he can show us that there is a better way to live. Jesus became mercy so that we can experience and express Mercy, the creator of the universe, all-powerful, put on the weakness and the temporary nature of our flesh in order to show us how strong he really is. Seems like a contradiction in terms, doesn't it? That God puts on weakness to prove his power. Let's look at our next slide. God's power is restraint. He has the right and the justification to strike, but chooses mercy. Strike fast, strike hard, no mercy, sir. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus put on our weakness to prove God's strength, his power. In mercy, his power in love, his power in forgiveness, 
his power in recognizing that we are filled with temporary problems. And he is trying to lead us with an eternal wisdom to prove to us beyond the shadow of a doubt that even though that we may be getting it wrong right now, that we may not have it all together, that we, when we seek to live like Jesus, become one step closer to getting it right. We become one step closer to understanding the depth of mercy that we have received. And we become one step closer to being able to realize that the depth of mercy that we need to share with others. God's power is restraint. He has the right and the justification to strike us down. But he chose mercy. He chose mercy on the cross. He chose mercy this morning when he let us get out of bed. And he's going to continue to choose mercy as we go from this place back out into the world to live into this cycle of mercy, to get inside other people's skin, not to misplace kindness, but to facilitate forgiveness and to reveal to us how much we all need to be like Jesus. It's like David Brown mentioned a few minutes ago when I was asking about your experience of mercy. The way that we break this down is we understand that grace is giving you the love that you don't deserve And mercy is withholding from you the punishment that you do. Grace is God giving you the love that you don't deserve. And mercy is withholding from you the punishment that you do. Allow that to sit in for a second. God loves you with this everlasting and eternal grace which is one word to talk about that unconditional love that you cannot earn, you do not deserve, but you receive, not based on who you are, save for the fact that you are a created son or daughter of the king of kings. The only reason you get grace is because God made you and has a plan and a purpose for your life. Does that mean that we are perfect? Does that mean we should not strive to be perfect, do our best? Of course not. But what it does mean is that we come face to face with those times when we have received a mercy that we can't earn or deserve. And it has saved us from the punishment that we do. Again, to that image of Jesus on the cross just before he he died. And all those people around, he scourged him and pierced his brow with the crown of thorns and whipped his back, made fun of him, mocked him, teased him. And Jesus prays a prayer for forgiveness. That's the kind of thing that he does for you and me too. That even when we get it so wrong, there's a love and a mercy available for us that can help us to get it right. And it comes back to this idea of being merciful and being empathetic to realize that Jesus came and is God putting on skin so that we can see the depth of the mercy that we have available to us. I want us to look at Matthew 5, 7 in the message paraphrase this morning. And what we read from here in this beatitude is that you are blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful or filled with care, at the moment of being careful, you find yourself cared for. This is Jesus' teaching that when you seek to meet other people's needs, 
you realize that yours are met. Your needs are met when you seek to meet someone else's. It's sowing seeds of mercy, if you will. Not as a way to try to make deposits in your eternal debit account, but it's about saying, God, I recognize it. I don't deserve everything that I have. I want to do my part to try to help someone else understand that you love them with the same kind of everlasting love. You forgive them completely and wholly and wholly. And there's mercy for us all. So help me to reach out in kindness and love and grace and mercy to meet someone else's needs. So does this mean that we are weak if we need mercy? I think it's an acknowledgement that we all are. And it's how God came to meet us in the midst of our temporal and our weakened state to prove the permanence of his power. You know, I love the verse from Acts chapter 20, verse 35, which is when the Apostle Paul wrote these words, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul is pointing back to Jesus in this cycle of mercy that says we all must acknowledge that apart from God, we can do nothing. With God, we can do all things. He gives us the strength. He reveals to us those areas and those depths of our weakness and our shortcomings and bestows upon us the love and the grace and the mercy through the forgiveness of sins that we need in order to be that conduit of grace, to be in that cycle of mercy to help all people know that there is hope and there is a plan beyond even the worst things that we experience right now. So blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Can you imagine how this world would be different if that's the approach to life that every single one of us took? Can you imagine the various arenas of your life in which you live and move and find your being? How much different it would be if we took the power of restraint and the power of love into all of our circumstances and to find ways to help reveal that there is power in restraint, that there is hope even in things that seem hopeless, that there is light even in the darkness. There is a power that is available to you and me that can help us to be something that we never thought we could be on our own. Givers as well as receivers of mercy. And so I pray that as we prepare to make our way from this place and this space today, that we will think deliberately about how we have received God's kindness and God's mercy. And how we can answer the call to share that with others. Acknowledging that there are times when we have misplaced our kindness because we're putting ourselves at the center of it, right? But that can facilitate forgiveness when we allow ourselves to acknowledge the weaknesses that we have. And maybe forgive someone else for the weaknesses that they have as well. 
And all this does is hangs and shows us a mirror, holds a mirror up in front of us to reveal to us how much we all need to be more like Jesus. And so may that be our call and our challenge, our comfort, as we bring this message, this installment in our Upside Down series to a close. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may it be so in our lives this day. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area, there you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.